<laughs> okay, we're recording. Welcome to On the Spectrum Podcast. I am Nick. And I'm Steve. And today we've got a special guest, but as I always do at the beginning of every episode, me and Steve, and I'm assuming our guest for today, do not presume to be experts of anything at all. We're just three human beings who all identify as being on the spectrum. You might hear some foul language. You might hear some topics, taboo, controversial, whatever. If you have a comment, question, or concern, if you don't like what we're saying, if you like what we're saying, put in a comment. Let us know what you think. Give us feedback. The only way we can do things better is if we have feedback for it. But again, we don't presume to be experts. So if we do use some language that you don't like talking about autistic people or autism in general, please let us know. All right. Uh, so today we have a special guest, Christopher Wheat. He's joining us today to talk a little bit about his, his story, um, his experiences being an autistic person and his book. Absolutely. Hi, Christopher. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> So, first question, right yes. off the bat. Yes. Uh, about how old were you when you got diagnosed? Uh, I was actually 35. Um, and the only reason why I had a clue that I should go get checked was because of my uh, twin daughters. I've got four children. And my younger two children uh, were detected early with autism. And so we went in and we researched and we found out that it was a biological thing. And so, you know, you, you when you grow up, especially in, in my years, I'm not sure how old you two gentlemen are, but um, for me, I had no clue. And so we always I always wondered, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And so when we found out the kids were, that's when I decided to go in and have myself checked. And lo and behold, I was I was diagnosed with uh, Asperger syndrome uh, at the time it was called that uh, at the age of 35. And so it finally answered questions that I'd wandered for over 30 years. Right. Uh, actually, uh, I'm very similar to that. And I do believe Steve as well. We were both late diagnosed as well. Uh, I was diagnosed in my late 30s. I'm 42 now. Uh, so it really hasn't been a super long period of time that I've had a diagnosis. Uh, and Steve relatively just got diagnosed a few years ago. It was about, well, actually, because I just turned 37. Right. And it was I was about 30. So it's been about seven oh, years. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, that is right. Um, so that was a lot longer than I actually remember. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I actually got diagnosed kind of the same way as yourself in the sense of my uh, oldest son, right around two, ended up getting tested and they found out he was autistic. And then when doing a little bit of research about, well, now I have an autistic son, well, what do I need to know? Come to find out genetic and it, you know, at the time they said it most likely carries from the father's side. So I looked into it. I did a lot more research. And they haven't allowed son. me to actually breed yet. So that is a true I'm not statement. allowed to have kids. Right. We are not going <laughs> to give him the license to be a parent yet. Nope. They wanted to cut it off at the source. Yes. yes. The, the convention of fathers got together and we all said, Steve, you're not ready yet. You're going to have to reapply. It's not just time. the autism. There's several other things. They're yes. Just, they're just like you shouldn't be allowed to have kids. Right. right. Well, don't feel too bad because I inherited high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, uh, all kinds of cancers. So, yeah, I'm just a walking time bomb. Very nice. <laughs> I, I just got diagnosed with uh, high cholesterol as well. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. I'm in a good company, apparently. <laughs> hey, we should hit McDonald's later. 
I was going to say, it has nothing to do with the several Big Macs Nick eats a day. So. <laughs> when they went down the list of stuff I should avoid eating, I was like, oh, good. So flavored air is what I get to have. Great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so I, I have a question, uh, Chris. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? And what I mean by that is, you know, once you found out that you were autistic, like how did that pan out for you? Like from hearing about it and then accepting it and et cetera. Like what were the well, difficulties? The uh, difficulties. Okay. Um, well, well, yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> well, I was, I, you know, when, like I told you all, you don't know why things happen until you actually get the diagnosis. And so prior to my diagnosis, I, you know, I'm still in education. I started in 95, but, but when I first started teaching, I, my first school was in a little tiny rinky dink town in Missouri called Alton. And I taught there for two years. And then, because I'm from Kansas city. And so, you know, talk about culture shock. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so anyway, um, I I was asked to resign after two years. I'm like going, why? What what did I do? And so then I I turned to a um, I met I met another principal in another district. He and I are both uh, William Jewell grads. William Jewell, I don't know if it's in Liberty, Missouri. It's um it's one of those high exclusive colleges that. You know, they call it the Harvard of the West. Well, anyway, he was and he said, well, I definitely need you. So I moved over to this uh, city called Pierce City and taught there for a couple of years. And again, after the second year, this is one of those cases of why am I why you letting me go? What did I do? And I even had a real uh uh, kind of a fisticuff with our principal and that where I had to call in our NEA rep to come in um, because I had a real, we had a real knuckle to knuckle, uh, not acting officially, but, you know, professionally um, because she did not like me at all. <laughs> I mean, she just, you know, and again, that's where that personality really becomes a problem. And so the journey basically has been this. Trying to figure out how I can keep myself in a job and and keep my without keep without losing my sanity and knowing the things that I'm saying, because I think if anything I have done that has got me in more trouble has been my mouth. <laughs> I think I think we can empathize with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's actually what prompted the book. <laughs> it was because of my mouth. And so uh and so basically the journey has been one which um I have now tried my very best to reach out to as many of us as possible and and I'm and honestly I've been fielding questions from lots of people mm-hmm. that have had this diagnosis and they just don't know what to do. How did you handle it? What did right. you know? And, you know, me being 53 now and 
really having had to go toe to toe with, I mean, we're talking all the way up to, well, in the book, you'll know, but all the way up to the White House. Um, I, it was a very strong, I mean, I know that that young lady, that uh, the one from the other country, uh, Gooder, I don't can't, I can't remember her name. You know who I'm talking about, though, right? Oh, uh, the climate change. Yes, female. Yes. What is her name? Th- no, um, Greta. 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 Right. And there yeah, and and how and how um, she was arguing with Donald Trump, and mm-hmm. they you know clashing this way. Well, I kind of how she feels, <laughs> and so it's it's been a real big battle. Um, and, and, and for some reason, the most frustrating thing I think is that society looks at us and, and, and this is the thing I always get. I imagine if you haven't gotten it, you will, they'll look at you and say, well, you don't look like you have autism. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) And I've been asked this several times. I'm going, what else am I supposed to look like? Well, to be fair, Nick's never had that. Question proposed to him. He's. You know, I, I clearly look they, like. Autism. They just assume he yeah. has it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, actually, actually, um, I just uh, one of my supervisors just asked me because they they we had an interaction at one point and they said, um, "Here was my impression of how you behaved. You kind of shut off and blamed me for your emotion." And I went, "No, I listened to you completely, and I just didn't have an emotional reaction to it at the time." And they were like, well, that's not how people behave. And I went, no, that's how us people behave. We have tendency to kind of guard, if not limit our emotionality at times, especially when we feel overwhelmed. And her response was, well, I've been working with people for 30 years. That's not how anybody's behaved. And I went, no, they actually probably did. They just didn't tell you. Yeah. I'm actually telling you. Like, right. I mean, exactly. but then again, doing the podcast, I have to be rather open in all aspects of my life about being autistic. So, right. And when I wrote the book, yeah. I mean, that definitely put me out there as, uh, <laughs> you know, right. Uh, I've got it. Yeah. Under- same same kind of feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I've got a list of questions and stuff. Um, oh, fine. But I promise Jeez. I will not grade you harshly. I will not grade you harshly, uh, teacher, sir. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, actually, one of my questions I was going to ask, and it's kind of off topic, so I hope you don't mind too much, because you oh, grew up I'm, in the seventies and eighties, and now knowing that you're autistic, yes. when you reflect on you know growing up in the seventies and eighties, mm-hmm. like when you reflect on it, how does that change the perception of how those time periods were for you in growing up? Um, it. it Really, it started, my mom, God bless my mother, and she's still alive right now, uh, she had no clue. Right. She knew there was something, and she's a teacher. She was a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so she knew there was something very different about me. Now, I have a younger brother, but he doesn't have the condition. Okay. And so she tried, she tried really hard to, like, like, the lack of eye contact Mm-hmm. You know, she grab my head like this and yeah. say, okay, Chris, look at me, look at me, you know, don't, don't, you know, I'm talking to you, you know, kind of thing. And so she would really try to all the horrible habits that we have. She tried to 
Correct them. Stop it. Yeah, stop yeah. it. Break. And just so, them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Just them. And so, uh, and so they didn't know what to do with me. Yeah. I mean, my mom. I started in in a public school, elementary, and my mother was not happy with the way that they were treating me. And my mom knew I was very intelligent. My mom knew that I was way more, I, I had a lot more in the head going on and that than other kids. But she felt like that the school was not using my talents well. And so I got moved to what they call Montessori. Mm, and yeah, and so, okay. And so I, I continued with Montessori until my fifth grade year. And then I moved into back into public school. But in this case, I went that mom put me into a smaller country school. Mm-hmm. So that way there weren't nearly as many kids um, in school. And so um, because she felt like that, I would not be able to handle a gigantic high school, which where is where she taught. She taught at a large high school. And and so and so that's why it was that way. And so in the 80s. Um, I, I love the rock music, music, and of course, I'm sure for you too, music's everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that everything was really loud. I remember having a little difficulty in the concert, but it didn't bother me so much because I knew like Van Halen, for example, you know, I was just singing along with Van Halen, you know, right. and I, they, they, I, I would come home with a, a super ringing in my ears and everything, but you know, it didn't really matter. But of course, was I teased? Was oh yeah, I was teased all the time. But it was mostly for physical things. It, it wasn't really because you know inside interior, but it was just right. you know you had a big nose and you got little skinny arms and you know and a lot of the things but, we all kind of kind of get made fun of for. Yeah, yeah. I got teased. I um, I got pulled into fights. Mm-hmm. That I did not want to get in fights with. I was right. very much. I was like, no, and it, it was. I think the worst time was in middle school, okay. probably by far. <clears throat> so, um, kind of <clears throat> jumping off of that, what you were just talking about, um, you mentioned in your bio that you had some issues with the opposite sex, um, as far as you know, romantically. And something that um, I can kind of relate to as well. Maybe if you want to tell us a little bit about that. Some of the issues you ran into trying to be romantic. Well, let me, do you mind if I jump off of that and get a little bit specific in a question? Go ahead. Uh, So uh, uh, specifically when it came to like flirting with people. Yes. Like I'm assuming only based on my own experience in life, I'm assuming you also had some issue flirting with people. <laughs> okay. Based on that reaction, yeah. I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and I was a horrible romantic mm. and, and, and I guess for me, my earliest recollection of knowing what is beautiful and pretty when I was like six or seven years old, and I think I still even have it. And this disturbed my mom a lot. I took a picture of a woman in a lingerie outfit, like in an ad 
like she had a bra on or whatever. And I put it in, I pasted it on there and I put little Superman symbols around it. (laughs) And I was like, wow, she's pretty. Yeah. And, and my mom was like, and you know, I'm like six or seven and my mom's going, why did you do this, Chris? It's like, I thought she was really pretty. She's really beautiful. And, and so I've always had this yearning to know what it was like to actually be in a loving relationship forever. But (laughs) when I was at the, when, when you're at a tiny school, the uh, crop of ladies is very short and not as many. And so when you, when I tried to do something, you know, like, I was left with a lot of girlfriends, mm-hmm. but not a girlfriend. Uh, so, yeah, that was tough. <laughs> I think that when you're in the school environment, especially, it's a microcosm. It's a small world. And when you're a kid or a young adult, that is your entire world is that school and those oh, yeah. people that are around you. And if you're not accepted by those people, or if you experience a lot of rejection with peers, you know, women your age, girls your age at the time, um, can be kind of devastating mm-hmm. especially bit. if you don't understand why you're being rejected constantly or why you're having issues right you know you're different you know you're odd you know you're a weirdo but yet you you don't know why and and also you don't know what to do about it like that's the other thing like you don't know how to correct it because you don't even know what's going on um i always so i actually at one point gave up flirting altogether <laughs> like Altogether. And and from my recollection, now I have a, a best friend who has known me since I was 12. When we've ever talked about this, you know, as adults, he has a different time frame for the story than I do. I say I gave up flirting when I was 16. He says I gave up flirting about four years ago, four or five years ago when I met my fiance. And I like to him, I've always flirted. But to me, like I gave up when I was like 16 because every time I tried, I always got that same look, which I eventually interpreted as I just said something wrong. That that look of kind of thing, because I it was oh. always not necessarily disgust, but more of like, oh, you just said something. Nah, you shouldn't say that because I was, you know, honestly, I had no idea how to do it. I mean, I had friends who were NTs growing up and they always you know, knew how to do that. Yeah. Uh, one friend in particular was real good at, you know, meeting women. And I tried to emulate that, couldn't. There was something always a little off about the tone of my voice, my hand gestures, the words I was using. When I was in middle school or high school, I tried to do the the passing notes or drawing pictures type thing. Mm. But then when I get older, um, I stopped being doing the corny stuff and I just started doing more of the negging. Oh, okay. But it's always worked, no. which is the sad part is if I tease a girl, th- that right. usually works for flirting is just making fun of her. Isn't that, isn't that interesting <laughs> as hell, though? Because we're actually really good at roast comedy. And, and like, yes. both of us met uh, our current partners because we do comedy. And they're the kind of people who respond positively to that kind of humor, that kind of sarcasm. Right. Some, a lot of people like being insulted. Yeah, I guess so. Especially if it's... Uh, <laughs> especially, like, I guess in my mind, if you're, if you're, um, if you're an attractive person, you're mm. an attractive guy or an attractive woman... And somebody picks right. on you, it's probably attention that you're not used to because you're used to people kissing your butt all the time if you're right. attractive. But if you make fun of them, 
they're probably not expecting it or it's probably more interesting because you're teasing them. I mean, I'm not mean about it, but, you know. Right. No, I catch on. I mean, you, you're you trying to find anything that right. might work. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you probably, I'm sure you were like me just trying to do anything just to find out, okay, Trial I'm going to try this, see yeah. if this works. Or I, I'm going to try this and see if this works. And then yeah. suddenly it's like, oh, what the heck? We're, we're like the ultimate scientist. Here's my hypothesis. If I make fun of her, it might work. Let's test our theory. No, it didn't work. Okay, let's move on. Uh, you know what I mean? Like we're the ultimate scientist in that way. Uh, yeah. Not, not that I'm diminishing real science in any way, shape, or form. I'm just making an analogy. Anyway, uh, I don't know why I feel like saying things like that, but I do. Um, but anyway, back on to you, sir, because I really do want to ask you, because you are late diagnosed and you already had... Yes children but now yes. you have had the twins and you had two children who now are on the spectrum and then you get tested did that mm. change the way in which you parented yes uh it did it did actually and it also changed the way my wife um treated me and i don't mean in a bad way um what attracted her to me was because i was quirky Mm. Um, and, and for me, when, as I was growing and meeting girls, the one thing I didn't want to have happen was I didn't want to meet, I didn't want to have a woman, um, feel like being desperate. Mm. I, I didn't, I didn't want that desperate thing. And so that's why, um, I made sure that when I met my wife, Jamie, I made sure that I, you know, uh, I, that she wasn't desperate mm -hmm. because when a girl's desperate and they're coming on to you, that's not a good thing. Usually. And not. so, and so I wanted to make sure that my wife wasn't like that at all, which was great. She loved the quirkiness. She didn't know why. And then eventually we had children very early. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, you know, obviously we had our last four, um, the, the twins and then, when I got diagnosed, then my wife was like, okay. And she said, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> and so from then on, my wife would be very, she's so good to me, honestly. I'll be honest with you. I, I feel like the luckiest person in the world to be married to this woman because she helps me. And I say now too, she helps me be aware of, okay, Chris, you probably need to back up a little off that or Chris, did you know what you just said? <laughs> so um, she helps kind of reel you in, if you will. Yes. Oh, very much. Yes, she does. I, I and and, and well. when you're talking about the flirting part, mm. you know, there are times when I I try not to flirt to gain something special, but just to have a little banter. Right. You know what? That's all it was. Just a little fun. You know, it's nothing, you know, nothing personal, nothing like that. But my wife says, Chris, you, you kind of came off looking a little more flirty. And I was like, okay, that was not my intention. <laughs> I was not trying to do that. That's not it. You know, um, so question for you, because I would be really interested to find out from her opinion or from her point of view, how you were uh -huh. when you guys first got together, like when it came to mm -hmm. flirting and stuff, I'd be really interested to find out what she actually has to say about it. Well, like, well, I can tell you, oh, okay. um, and she's, I think she's going to be heading off here pretty soon to go okay. see our granddaughter. But like I said, she, 
um, at first, yeah. At first, we were in an art class, a ceramics class, and so I had my friends, my 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 buddies, you know, our art people, and so I had my my swath of hair, and then the old long hair in the back. I had the old molded kind of MacGyver kind of thing going, and (laughs) and then uh, and we were all sitting there chumming along, and then there were these two three gals over there, and. And my wife said, um, you know, Chris, when I first saw you, I thought you were gay. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah. And I had my chair lean back. She thought, I hope he falls over in that chair. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. And so the first time I saw her, she was wearing some <laughs> baggier kind of clothing mm-hmm. and and I thought she was an old woman. I thought she was in her forties. And <laughs> until, but you know, this was a bit of a distance until um, until I got a close up of her, mm-hmm. uh, and they're realizing, holy crap! One, she's not old. In fact, she's actually really cute. And so, and so, and her and her perception of me obviously changed. That that she really loved the quirkiness and, but the people that she had dated, I wasn't the kind of person that she would date. The people she used to date were six foot four, 300 and something pound people. You know, I'm only five ten. you know, you know, five ten or so and 135 pounds. And, and she is exactly the same height. She's like five ten, also or five eleven, And, and weighed the same also, actually. We both weighed the same at that time. We were now we were 19. Mm-hmm. So, but um, <laughs> I don't weigh that today. But so it for her for us, it was she there was just something about me that she really loved. And I think it might have been the sense of humor, um, because I made her laugh. Um, I made her not feel so uh not so worried about herself. Like she had to be, pretend to be something she didn't have to be. Right. She could be her natural self. And I think that was something that she really enjoyed was that she didn't feel like she had to try her hardest to be something that she wasn't. That's awesome. Able to just be herself. (laughs) Um, uh, Steve, you got something? Because I moved my phone out of the way, so I have no idea what um, the next question is. I did, but I was going to maybe wait a little bit before I asked, but I can ask it now. Yeah, I might as well. Mostly because so, I got most of my questions. Oh, you, I got one uh, you mentioned earlier about your experiences with the, in the, the school district that you worked in. Yes. Um, I was hoping you could go into a little more detail about exactly what happened and... Uh, how they treated you? How did they find out exactly? And oh, okay. So we're basically you're you're you are talking about what brought this on. Yeah, yeah. Aha. Okay. Yeah, we were leading up to asking you about your book. The, 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 the big the big reveal. Yeah. Wow. You know when I was first um, asked to resign from these other small districts. Um, and not knowing what was going on, I did it because I didn't know what was going on. We didn't have any idea. And so we eventually moved back to Kansas City. 
and I got I I got a job with the Kansas City, Missouri School District. And it's an urban school. It was one of the largest schools. It still kind of is. But um, so I was there now. I started in 2000. And and so and so what was going on was, was that when I finally was diagnosed, I was in my I was in another school building. So I moved from one building to another. I transferred. And so I met with our our union rep and i asked the union rep i said do you think it's a good idea to let them know that i have this condition Mm -hmm. and they said absolutely not do not let hr know that that you have this condition so i didn't and then and so for a while i worked it was fine i moved to another i did move to another building which is okay it was it was called wendell phillips mm-hmm. and and so we had a great it, we had a great relationship i mean we were we all connected so well well when we had a, a superintendent come in and he wanted to clean house basically he wanted to uh so he put a lot of people on uh layoff he laid off several teachers and so i only taught drama at the time which was a little ironic that you know but uh-huh. for me i taught drama so i was laid off and so during that layoff time uh my wife and i decided that no we need to let the district know exactly what my conditions are and what my accommodations need to be Right. Uh, and so anybody that's listening out there, if you want to know the answer to the question, let them know. Because if you let them know, you've got more legal, you've got more legal uh, backing. Mm-hmm. In, and if you don't say a thing. Right. Because the is covered under the ADA. American right. Disabilities Act. Yep. Exactly. And so and so we decided to sit down with HR and. My wife and I, we wrote up, we, we filled out all the information, wrote up, and we put it in my file. So when we, when I was able to, I had to get my social studies uh, certificate and because I minored in social studies. And so I was able to come back to the district and I got placed into a building called uh, Southwest Early College Campus. Now, I came in when they decided to take another high school and they closed it. And moved all those kids and shoved them into one high school. Wow. And that was probably the craziest year I think I ever had. Because we literally had lots of fights, mm-hmm. lots of phone calls to um, to the fire departments, to mm-hmm. the police. Uh, it was getting absolutely out of control uh, quickly. Because, you know... You know, you kids, you know, from different high schools, you get a little tension there. Oh, yeah. A little that's an understatement. <laughs> so, anyway, um, so that first year, I literally went through three principles in one year. It was it was crazy. Wow. I mean, yeah, I mean, one was fired, one did it for a little bit, then he just quit at Christmas time. And then we brought in the last one. He stayed until the end. But so the following year, we got a new principal. 
uh, named Dr. Richardson, great gentleman. I still respect him to this day. Wonderful example of how to be an administrator. Mm-hmm. And the last year, the 2014 year, is when all hell broke loose <clears throat> because our our MAP scores, our state assessment scores were terrible. And one of the conditions of trying to gain accreditation is to have better scores. That's one of several things, but mm-hmm. it was it was pretty bad. So the superintendent at the time, uh, a new one, a different one, <clears throat> because you know those guys rotate about every year too. Uh, he decided to bring out a bunch of his flunkies, his you know director of secondary education, the director of technology, blah blah blah. And so they wanted to sit down and talk to all the teachers that had to teach subjects that were map tested. Okay. Okay. So I taught, I taught government Mm -hmm. and government is one of the, you know, one of the uh, areas that you're tested in. And so basically what happened was when I met, sat down with the, with the uh, group and I was sitting next to my principal, they were basically wanting to know what's going on. Why is, why are we not getting anywhere? And at that point I had been so frustrated because I tried so hard to get kids to understand. I, I learned that the questions on the test, it wasn't necessarily what the question was. It was how it was being asked. The kids weren't understanding the verbiage in the question. They didn't understand it. So they didn't know how to answer it. And so that's where I came up with, actually, I have to steal another idea from another district, but I came up with note cards. Mm -hmm. And I had them basically write the the word and then the definition on the back. So that way they had a stack of note cards to go through and learn what the word meant. And so that way, when it came time for the test, they at least now knew, okay, there's that word. I know what it means. And now I can find an answer that would work with that, with that word. Okay. Well, I kept asking parents, are you, are you asking your kid to look? Are you checking? Are you saying, please check? Look, Hey John, go, go, go look at your note cards. You know, you know, just something that simple. And the parents were not doing a thing. They weren't doing anything and it was driving me absolutely crazy. And so, and so the superintendent, after all the shenanigans, after they got done talking with her, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, I don't care about, you know, what you have to say because you you're worthless. I said to them, I I told, I looked him straight in the eye. I said, if you want to know what's going on, I will tell you straight. School is not going home. Hmm. It's hard to do this job when we are not getting the support of the parent to help us with the development of your child. And for me, mine was simple. Just have them look at the cards. But none of them were doing that. And so and so he looked at me kind of like, like, what? Like. Wait a minute, school's like going home. You know, I thought that was an absolutely ludicrous comment. Wow. So, so I was done. I left. 
And and so uh, I was a, I was still part of the NEA, the our union. And now there are two unions. I know it's going to sound kind of kind of weird, but the negotiating union is AFT. So they're the ones that actually talk to the district about contracts. Oh, okay. I, I was a part of that, but I quit because I felt like they weren't doing anything for me. Okay. So I moved over to NEA, and so they actually helped. And so my rep went and spoke to, uh, actually, she was called by the head of HR. And the head of HR told my rep, she said, look, um, I need to let you know something. Uh, Our superintendent came to me and told me in no certain terms that I had to get rid of the weirdo. And (laughs) And my rep was like, what? And so she said, yes, we need, I uh, wanted to get rid of it. you you know, Christopher, we need to go. And so, and so, yeah, that's hence the title. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and so from then on, from then on, it became a serious battle of them trying to get rid of me <clears throat> uh, because I faced that before you know, in other districts, but I didn't know what was going on. This time I knew what was going on. And by golly, I was not going to leave. I was not going to give up. And so, and so no matter how many times they came into my room, which broke every single um, ADA accommodation I had. Mm. I mean, I think they, they broke every single one of them. Oh, wow. And, and so they would constantly they would constantly come in and you know have notes written down and then have other people coming in other like assistant principals and coordinators and you know all these other people coming into my room constantly interrupting the room and then kids were like asking Mr. Wheat what is going on I said look it, it has nothing to do with you guys right. uh, it has nothing to do with you it, it they're at, they're on me and the kids were about ready to revolt. And I was like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, because they love, you know, there are teachers that kids really like. And I was, I was one of them uh, because kids would constantly come into my room because they wanted, for the most part, they wanted to come in because they actually, I taught and they loved the way I taught. They loved to learn. And so it was like, I mean, even though they weren't in the class, they still liked doing, you know, learning the things we were doing, but so basically, at the toward the end of the year of that year, I mean, we were talking like maybe a week left of school, maybe a week. Um, I get called in. Now, my principal at the time, uh, Mr. Richardson, was unceremoniously removed from his uh, post. I even have he he went and uh, went to the Kansas City Star, the newspaper, and this huge. Um, article came out about his account all the way through about what happened. And I still have that, by the way. And um, and so they replaced him with this um, head of leadership, which, by the way, he's still there. I'm, I don't know how in the world he's still there, but he's still there. And so he came in and he was such a prick. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. He was a prick. Um, this is a guy who actually cheated on getting his doctorate and 
And so he, so he got in a lot of trouble with that. And then he had to go back. And then, I mean, it was, if this gives you, I mean, he's, he was such a smug ass. I mean, mm. just, he just wanted to slap the smug off his face. Right. Um, and no, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So anyway, so anyway, so finally in the end, I get called into the office. Uh, my my rep is right there with me, Annie, and and he says, "Okay, Chris, we are putting you on administrative leave. Have a good time. Thank you very much. You've got about twenty minutes. To get your stuff and get out of the building." Oh my and god! So, and so, and you will not be allowed to be on any premises whatsoever. Blah blah blah. You know, legal jargon. And so I was like. Okay. And so I, I took it. I accepted it. I said, fine. You know, you, you know, you are the ones who create this monster. So I grabbed all my stuff, walked out of the building, talked to Annie for a little bit. She told me, you know, my legal things, what might go on, all this. And so I left and over the summertime, I was scrambling, scrambling to find anybody, anything to help. Right. I was talking to lawyers. Lawyers didn't want to touch it because there was no hard. I mean, if I was like a paraplegic or if I had some kind of visible disability, <clears throat> right. Oh, they were taken in a second. Oh, of course. But, oh no, you don't look like you're got you're not disabled. You know, I actually read something um, just to, t to tie into what you're saying. I read something not too long ago um, because I've had my own experiences with companies treating me differently and businesses I worked at treating me differently. And uh, what I read was, I think it's about 70% of ADA claims end up going unresolved. Yeah. Because there's usually not enough evidence to actually prove anything. So a lot of times people will will do those sorts of things, but... It's hard to prove it uh, if you were to try to bring it to court or try to try to do anything about it. Right. And see, the best and the reason why I was able to get this written in the first place was because I had logged in every single time they came into the room. I wrote down exactly what they did, what they said, the whole bit. And so I was keeping, excuse me, I was keeping track of this. And and so anything from emails to that to um recorded things i kept it i kept it all in fact i still have it all um but and so that's what made it really difficult and so but the funny part was that they couldn't fire me mm -hmm. they were going to try to fire me at the board meeting but they were like can't do it because you don't really have enough stuff to legitimately fire him and so, and so basically they were going to, well, they were going to, they came up with this plan to bring me back mm. and then fire me then. And, and so of course the, the whole idea of the, the bringing back did not fit in with my accommodations at all. Right. And so, um, and basically I got so desperate that I even emailed the white house. I'm a dead serious. And I really didn't think I was going to hear anything. And that, that time it was the wonderful Barack Obama. God bless you, sir. And, <laughs> and so I, I thought I would hear nothing. And then suddenly I got a letter in the mail from the EOC of Missouri in St. Louis, who inquired about, um, said, 
it's come to my attention. The White House wants me to find out or Brock. No, he said, President Barack Obama would like to know what is going on. <laughs> you know, why are you going through all this? And, all you know, and so. So anyway, I wrote him back. Um, it was CC to the White House. The letter was. And so uh, I told him what was going on. I said that right now I'm working with the uh, Kansas City human rights people. So um, and so the EOC uh, said that, OK, well, why don't you work with them first? And then if you don't get anything resolved, then you can come to us. And so I said, OK. Uh, so, yeah, that's that actually happened, yeah. <laughs> which wow. I, I really was not expecting that at all. Yeah, but it's kind of cool that the White House stepped in and they were like, yo, you got to look into this. They they did. I mean, I've got the letter still the that's whole awesome. bit. It just blew my mind. So your your book, uh, if I remember the title correctly, Weirdo 2.0. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so your book is kind of like telling that story. It is exactly that story. But um, what I did was mm-hmm. um, I've got some wonderful friends at, at the school I'm currently teaching in now, which is over in Kansas. And the, one of them teaches law and he's a lawyer, lawyer. I mean, he's a straight up lawyer. And so I asked him about, well, OK, look, I'm telling the story. How do you think I can approach it? Because, see, what happened was basically this. The district and I came to an agreement. We finally we finally mediated and agreed to part ways with certain terms. And one of the terms that we absolutely had to have in there was that there was going to be no negative. No, sorry, that's a double negative. There was <laughs> there wasn't going to be any bad. Um you know, things on their part. So like if another school asked them, hey, you know, what what about this, you know, Mr. Wheat, did you have them? They could only say that how long I've been there mm-hmm. and they could say that he was is not able to return. Mm-hmm. That's it. That was it. No negative comments of any kind. Right. And so I, when, when I was released and we went our separate ways, I started applying to several states. I mean, several, I think up to 13 different states and not just one school per state. We're talking several schools per state. And I had a couple of interviews, a few of them, but no job. Yeah. Not a one. Nobody would give me a job, a teaching position. And I had no idea why. I had no clue what the heck was going on until I did get a job with the federal government uh, as a contractor with immigration. And so one of the things that they do is that when you get hired on either as a contractor or as an actual government, Mm -hmm. you get interviewed by the Office of Personnel Management. And so what they do is they go into your into your background and they dig. And by golly, you better not tell them anything that is not true. Mm -hmm. Because if you if they if you find out they're lying, you're lying, you are in some serious trouble because they go look through the FBI files. They look through CAI files. They they go and interview your neighbors. 
they, I mean, they go out and find everything. And so when I had my, when I had my interview with my, with the um, office of personal management, Mm -hmm. the gal told me, she asked me questions and I answered them very truthfully. (laughs) I was not going to lie at all. (laughs) I was like, "Mm -hmm." so, so anyway, she said, okay, what about this thing with Kansas City, Missouri? I was like, well, here's what happened. And then she said, well, that might explain a lot. And I was like, okay, what are you talking about? So she holds up this manila envelope. She pulls out the sheet of paper and she says, well, this is what we got from your district. She said that, you know, they told me that you work between 2000 and 2015. And they said that uh, that you are not you would not be able to be hired. But then there was something else that they said that was not supposed to be in there. They said that I was um, not hireable. Basically, I was uh, I forgot what the exact verbiage was again, but basically that that I was not adequate for being hired. Hmm. I because 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 when she said the first time it took me back I I took a second I said I said what did you just say and she she said well, basically they said that you are unhirable and I was just shocked I was like oh my gosh this whole time this whole time they were telling all these schools all over the place that I was unhirable. So basically what they did was they broke the contract. They broke yeah. the agreement. And so that's why <laughs> we got this. And right, so because I couldn't sue because I, again, like you said, uh, mm-hmm. Scott, um, Scott. Oh. Scott, Nick, no, Nick. And that's Steve, Steve. It's all good. No, that's all right, man. We're just meeting. I mean, I can just Scott, if you want me to be. Yeah. I mean, he can change his name. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna change my name. I'll be Joe. How about there you that? go? Anyway, yeah. but anyway, but like what you were saying though was that, like you said, you know, they it, it was like you couldn't prove anything, right? And so, and so, like, fine, that's it, that's it. I had enough. I was gonna write. I was gonna write down what happened. And so, when I talked to my lawyer guy, my friend, he said, "Look, Chris, the best thing you probably could do is." Try not, don't actually use their real names, right? Use um, fake names and then you know everything else, but you can still use all the actual things that actually happened mm-hmm. and the things they said verbatim all the way through. Yeah. So everything that's in here is exactly what was said, what was done, everything. I just changed the location. Mm-hmm the names and everything. And I decided to have a little fun with this one. And I, I used the theme of a circus background. So everything was a bit of a circus. So the names were like Mr. Uh, Mr. Strongman, the, the ringmaster, the, mm-hmm. the pop, you know, Mr. Popcorn, you know, I, I gave them all different kinds of names right. that dealt with kind of a circus because that's what it felt like. Understood. Yeah, well, it sounds like it kind of was. And the reason why it's 2.0, by the way, is because when I wrote the first version of it, there was a lot of things that I 
I wanted to have that I didn't, and I didn't want to confuse people. So I, I retook it and I added a bunch of things in, and that's where the 2.0 comes. Oh, okay. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, you all know Temple Grandin. You yeah, yeah. know who she is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you know who she is. That's that's better than a lot of people where they don't like. Well, I'm a Temple Grandin. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know a little bit of better background because obviously we've heard her name because she's so associated to autism. Right, and yep. and actually, they made a movie about her. They played her in, in the movie. But anyway, um, I was able to. They gave me permission to borrow some of her uh, material for my book. Oh, and so that was a, a terrific thing because what I started doing was not only did I start uh, telling my story about all the problems I was having with uh, bosses and getting fired, but I was able to borrow some of her material. And the, with other people's stories of the very similar things that right. happened. Um, I have a, a question related to that. So what do you think um, is the, what is the single, the, the thing that you were called out most about? So um, there's certain behaviors that we do as autistic people that uh, people find issue with in the work environment. What is the, what do you think you were called out the most about or What was it? specifically that they had an issue with like well for instance myself um i have a tendency to ask a lot of clarifying questions and a lot of times mm -hmm. bosses that i've worked with find annoying or they'll think that i'm incompetent because i ask a lot of questions they want me to just make a bunch of assumptions about what they want me to do if they give me a vague like oh i need this done or what do you mean by that right and those type of things so I'm wondering in your case like what did it, what was it specifically about your behavior that they uh, kept targeting. Well, my big problem was when you approach the boss, you know, the top, and you basically tell them that, hey, you know, you guys are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and that trickle down, basically, you do what the boss tells you to do. Mm -hmm. He tells you to jump, you say how high, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so basically, um, uh, they were under strict orders to do this or, you know, you get fired. Mm -hmm. So, and so they were kind of forced at, you know, the knife in their back to do these things, even though a lot of them did not agree with it, especially the vice principal. I know God bless her. I mean, she was in a position she did not want to be in. As a matter of fact, I even recall her kind of crying when I came in for the last time to approach our um, leader, uh, principal at the time, and and so he um, and so he was there. She was inside. She was not happy with the decision at all, and because she felt like I was getting railroaded mm -hmm. big time, and she really liked me. Uh, you know, just as a teacher, as a professional, how I treat the kids, how I treat other fan, you know, other teachers. You know, I was a team player, and so, but, um, but when you get to that point, it didn't matter. It right. just didn't matter at all. Um, I could have done anything and everything. Doesn't matter. So uh, that was the main thing. Uh, for me and yes i do i did ask for those things but it didn't seem to bother them very much um they because you know teachers always ask questions anyway 
Right. And so, and so as an administrator, usually they're used to that. So for me, that's why it wasn't necessarily a big deal when I was asking for some clarifying things. Now, what do I do today? Today, I tell them straight up, look, listen, I'm autistic. You're going to have to just tell me. And so, and so that's why I, you know, I do what I do. Right. Uh, well, I mean, in a lot of ways, that probably helps you out quite a bit more because then at least there's a reason why it seems like you're doing things differently than they expect. Right. And, you know, and when I actually, ironically, when I came back to teaching, mm -hmm. I'm actually a special ed teacher. Oh. Of all the things. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's actually that? a great thing. Special ed teaching, special ed. I yeah. mean... <laughs> Um, and, you know, I told the kids, you know, and so that way the kids for the first time could identify saying, oh, my gosh, you're kind of like me. Yeah. You know, I've got issues and you have things. And so now I understand you a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for me, I didn't care. I mean, put at that point. It was like I didn't care. Right. I don't care. I wanted I wanted everybody to know. And I want everybody to understand, look, this is this is me. This mm -hmm. is who I am. I'm not I'm not going to shade anything. And you're just going to have to work it out or, or figure it out because I'm there to work with you. You know, I'm not against you. I'm here to help and work with you. But you're going to have to help me a little bit. Yeah. You got to work with me if I'm going to work with you. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, what? But I'm sure you two will definitely agree that once we get it, we'll get it done. Oh, yeah. And we'll oh, get yeah. it done exactly the way that you asked for it, too. Word for word, the way you ask for it. So you exactly. better make sure your instructions are really good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So because think, that's it. Yeah. Right. Part, part of the reason we do this um, podcast, it's it's been evolving as we do it. But mm -hmm. part of the reason is... Uh, awareness and acceptance and I think you know you sharing your story um kind of shows you what it's like when you don't have that awareness and that acceptance you know people who don't understand I mean and maybe are not willing to understand mm -hmm. um so what anyone who reads your book what do you think is the the key takeaway what is the biggest thing that you want to impart on the people who read your book the thing I want them to understand uh, the key takeaway definitely is that, look, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. You are not alone because I've had so many people feel like that, oh, yeah. that they feel like that they're alone, that they that they've got this thing and that there's not really many people out there that understand or want to know. So I'll just kind of try to deal with it in my own way when you don't have to. Right. There are people like like you, like you two wonderful gentlemen and myself trying to reach out to the rest of our community and saying, hey, look, we've been through your experience. We know. Right. And so this is what we did. And we've had success with it. And so we want you to please, you know. Read through my experience. Look at reading through what the other people experienced. I mean, we had in, in the book, I mentioned this. We had a poor young man who worked for Target. And you might have even heard the story 
where he was unceremoniously taken out of the store, um, I call the walk of shame or something. And it, it absolutely devastated him so badly that he went up to, um, it's, in, it was in California and he went to a hotel. He went up to the top of the hotel and jumped off and committed suicide. Oh my God. At, yeah. Uh, and it, very sad. And, and it's, again, that story's in the book also. Um, I wish I could say I haven't felt like that before, but I mean, I've been there. I've never actually done something like that, but I can empathize with feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. And so, and the worst part is when we, if we ever slip into that deep depression and cause that's what happened to me. I slipped into, I slept, slept I slipped into a very deep depression mm-hmm. where that is the thing that really kind of haunts you. And it's like, you don't really want to do it, but it almost feels like that's almost the, that's the only other thing you could do. It's like, forget it, forget it. I, I can't take this life anymore. I'm out. I, I want to be out. And, and a lot of them will ask like, well, what would be the way you would do it? Mm. And honestly, I will tell you straight. Mine was shooting myself. Mm Mm-hmm. I that, do not. That, that was your plan. Yeah. It's a very manly way to go out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if I was John right. Wayne, I mean, honest. Oh man, you beat me to that. <laughs> and, joke. and you got it. <laughs> oh, you beat me to that. Joke. And you got the army shirt on too. That's yeah. it. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, just forget it. Pow. And I mean, so, if that, I'm and I go, go. I'd rather be but, run over by a bus full of nuns. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, you just light me on fire beside a school bus so yeah, I can see all I'm the kids scream as I die. I mean, come on. At least you got somebody praying for you right then and there. They're like, oh, my God, he's under the right tire. Pray, sisters. Actually, you know what? Maybe maybe um, I could do something useful with my death. You can put me on an island with a tribe of cannibals who ah. are maybe going through a, a period of drought and the crops yeah. haven't been doing so well. So, you, can, you know, I could feed maybe a village. Yeah. OK, for one, Steve, I love how you always think about helping others. Yeah. Two. <laughs> What do cannibals care about crops, dude? They're cannibals. They eat meat. Well, they don't. They, they don't humans, always eat. Cannibals don't only. It's not like their only diet is people. Oh, they eat really? other things too. Who was the last cannibal you met? Um, <laughs> Come on, I don't know some guy from Papua New Guinea. Uh, so, Christopher, um, let's end on a on a high note here. Yes. With uh, death and suicide, wait, depression. Wait, wait, hold on. Why not, uh, Christopher? Where can people get your book? That's what I was going to ask. Oh, that's where you were going? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we can, we can hold that. We can hold that for a minute. What? The book part? Yeah, we can hold that for a minute. Well, if I was going to say, um, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, well, we're on this high note, but before yeah. we, before we finish up, I do want, I did want to ask where oh. people can get your book. That's where I was going. So where oh. can people get it? Um, yeah. I misunderstood Steve's yeah. social cues. Huh? <laughs> Weird. I misunderstood, <laughs> I misunderstood everything. <laughs> Well, okay, first, I do want to say mm-hmm. to anybody listening out there, suicide is suicide is never a joke. Um, is you know, it's never a joke. I mean, it's very serious. And and if you know anybody that is because you know, I'm a teacher, if you know anybody that has those thoughts or feelings that you know, call, I think was it is it eight? There's a number, there's a three-digit number you can call now. Yes. Um, 
and I forget what the number was. Steve, Steve but, should look that up. We should actually give that information. We have um, cell phones. Right. So. right. So, so really, um, as a teacher, as an educator, um, anyone listening out there. 988. 988. Nine, nine, eight, eight. Eight. Okay, you can text it, too. Yep. Right. Text called 988. It's available 24 hours a day. Exactly. If you even have a thought that you think that somebody might actually be thinking this, call it anyway. Because even if it may not actually be legitimate, you never know down the line. Right. And so, and so, and so I know that we kind of, because we, we have it, it's always in our head. Mm -hmm. And so we always talk about it. We can, and we can, in a way, kind of joke about it because we know. Because that's who we are. Yeah, exactly. But 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 for those that don't know, call it because because you know those of you that don't have this condition that we have, call it. But anyway, so with that out of the way, um, the book you can get this in paperback, you can get it in hardback, you can get an e an ebook form on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So, but but. I would recommend, strongly recommend that you do type type in Weirdo 2.0 and my name. Because the reason I say that is because there are so many other books that, and stuff that get squashed in there that it, it, it can be hard to find all of a sudden. Even though the cover is very striking, it is. you miss the cover. Um, and I meant, uh, and I wanted, I wanted it to be like that. I wanted it to be easy to see. There it is, no question. But, um, but definitely on the Amazon platform, uh, type it in, type in my name. There it is. Uh, and also too, if you are, uh, I think if you're like one of those unlimited people, you can read the ebook for free. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, like Kindle. Yeah, so. And so it's not only it's on Amazon, but it's also on Apple Books. It's on uh, literally about every platform. Uh, uh, oh, Barnes and Noble, Go Gobo, you know, all of them. So really, I, I was able to get it really dispersed out. But uh, at least I can let me at least say this. Mm -hmm. I did. Yes, I did self-publish the book. But I will tell you, as as the little award thing will tell you, it's not just a whatever book. It's a book that's been recommended very well by lots of people that review books that have never met me. They just read the book and they gave me a review. And so and so you're going to get an honest review from people that don't know me. Good. And so, and so you're not getting something kind of trashy. You're getting a quality book that will help you or help anybody who either is suffering through like we are, or wants to know more about people like us. Right. Wants to know the experiences that we've had, which is kind of our target audience. Yeah. So, or at least hopefully. Is, and it's in there. And, and so I just feel like I want to at least have something there and i am working on other things that deal also with us mm -hmm. other books uh like relationships so like my wife and i um uh, that's in the works right now nice. there's i have something else that i'm working on too where i've interviewed students and kids that have the condition also mm -hmm. and i'm trying to really pinpoint the women because as you guys know women are the hardest to identify 
Yep. And so for you two gentlemen, I really wish you honestly all the best with your jobs. Oh, thank you. Because I know how hard it is when you have to deal with, especially managers who don't always want to actually try to understand. Right. They have certain expectations and we don't meet the expectations that they right. have all the time. Right. Because they have those <clears throat> social rules that we have to we have to hit exactly the way they want us to, even though not completely capable of it. And even if so, you explain to them what's going on, a lot of times they still don't really give a shit. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. So let me just ask you, how do you guys do with social interactions? Like let's say you're <laughs> in a crowd of people. How do you how how do you act? Um can I go first, Steve? Sure. Oh, great. Thanks, buddy. Um, <laughs> so I generally put on my performer hat, you know, like uh, me and Steve both do uh, local community theater and we do the the comedy improv group. I put on my performer hat. Uh, I generally am very high masking um, and I can go through most of my day, you know, seeming like mm-hmm. those those people. And mm-hmm. it's usually later in the day that I start to have my meltdowns and my burnouts and my other you know, jazz, right? You know, my issues with censoring social contact. But I go through most of my day just playing pretend, which isn't probably the best coping skill in the world. But one of the advantages of this podcast, at least for me personally, is this is a place where me and Steve can kind of unmask quite a lot. Right. And we can we can kind of allow our autism to show, if you will. Um I recently what's underneath to, the persona. There you go. Thank you. Sir. <laughs> what's right behind the mask? Um, like I recently have started to come into a little bit of an issue uh, at work when it came to they. I started to unmask a little bit more often and tried to not put on the performer face as much. Mm-hmm. And they started telling me that I wasn't doing my job as well. And people were having issues with the way I was behaving. And it's more a matter of like, I was pulling back, right? Like I was trying yeah. to be more authentic of who I was. So at the end of the conversation with them, I literally said, fine, I'll be your performer. I will play the fool and I will be the jester for you. And they, they were like, well, that's not what we said. And I said, what you said to me was, you want me to perform the way act at work the way I did two months ago. Mm-hmm. Well, two months ago, I didn't know as much about myself and how harmful my behavior was to myself. Now I do. And I want to give you something in between. Right. And they were like, yeah. no, 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 you've got to. And I went, cool. Then I'll reiterate it. I will be your performer. Wow. Oh, that hurts. That hurts. But, but at least I got somebody like Kim where when I have right. my low moments, I can reach out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I will say that is a privilege that I have that not a lot of people do. Like exactly. the fact that both of us got diagnosed relatively in the same time frame, the fact that we've been performers together for a bunch of years, we both can understand each other's social awkwardness moments. That's wonderful. Yeah. And then see, and yeah, anybody listening out there, if you have somebody to go to, for me, it's my wife. She is my rock. And and for you two, you've got each other as you know, as friends, and it makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we also have our own partners in our lives that we have too, that we can talk right. to. I mean, my, my fiance currently, she knew when we first got together, she knew I was bipolar. She didn't quite know the autism thing because it had only been suggested to me that I might be, you know, on the high end there, mm-hmm. uh, Aspie area. 
but we never really got a confirmation. But once I got a confirmation and then once I told her, she goes, cool, what does that mean for me? And I went, here's what it means. Nothing different. How we met, how I've behaved, you accept that. Let's keep moving forward. Um, you know, we have come into issues when it came to like uh, a couple of meltdowns that I've had recently. But yeah. now she immediately, when she sees me in that state, goes, okay, I don't know what to do. How can I help you? What do you need from me? More so than before, it was just like, okay, it's okay. You know, take a couple of yeah. minutes, you'll be all right. You know, because it's normally how people behave with one another. But now she just says, okay, where are you at? What do you need? Which is that's awesome. wonderful. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's, that's wonderful to her. I usually yeah. deal with most people just by making jokes. And um, my biggest struggle, I think, right now is uh, when people, I don't know why, but people have a tendency to open up to me. Strangers, people I work with, they'll tell me all this deeply personal stuff. They'll tell me about mm -hmm. all this horrible stuff going on in their life. And I'm like, because I don't ask people for this information. They volunteer <laughs> it. And I don't know how to respond when people are sharing really emotional things with me. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I've had the same thing. Don't worry. I feel don't bad, feel but bad. I don't like, it's hard for me to show uh, sympathy. I don't know. Because right. it makes me feel uncomfortable and I don't know how to respond to it, but I feel bad for them. But I just don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I just, for whatever reason, I'm a magnet for people's. Right. Well, I know that feeling. I'm a counselor during the day. So yeah. I understand that. <laughs> but I'm not a counselor. People no. just feel like telling me. Well, Everything going on in their life. When I get out of work, dude, I make it pretty well known on my face. Please don't talk to me. I mean, I spent my entire day talking to people. Like, I mean, I'm, I get on I'm one hand, I'm happy that people feel comfortable talking to me, but yeah, right, right. Oh Sometimes. no, I understand. Hey, that's when I'm at school, I get a lot of kids talking to right. me about some of the most horrible things that happened at home. It's, oh, it is really difficult. It, I feel for you completely. It's emotionally draining. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's something super hard for our people to deal with. <laughs> yes, because I come home exhausted. Right. I'm just exhausted. It, it is far easier for us to do a physical job than an emotional job. Far mm. easier. Oh, yeah. In, in a lot of ways. I mean, for myself, the second I start sweating, I start getting overwhelmed. Sensory stuff. But I don't. Tactile is kind of my sensory issue. Anyway, beyond that, moving on. Yeah. Uh, Steve, any other questions? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry. No, not at the moment. Um, Great. I think uh, I think I want to just I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you for sharing everything. Absolutely. Thank mm -hmm. you, Christopher. Maybe oh, yeah. in the future we could have you on again sometime if there's more you want to talk about. Um, delve into some other things. Maybe, you know, mm -hmm. we can just talk about a different topic rather than just talking about yourself and your book. We could delve into some other things. Oh, yeah, sure. Fun. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. I'm always open for anything. I, like I said, I'm a former drama teacher. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, I'm right in your wheelhouse, guys. <laughs> that, that would be a topic I'd like to get into some other time. Because being a drama teacher also must mean that you also do some acting of your own. Yes, I've done acting. I've directed. Uh-huh. Directing is... Yeah. See, that's a that's another conversation I'd like to have with you, being a performer, <laughs> yeah. because we can all relate to that performer part, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and especially, like, how do we perform after the diagnosis compared to how did we do the, our acting prior to it? I know there was right. a shift for me. I know mm -hmm. there was a shift for me. Um, oh, yeah. But anyway, oh, no. that's another conversation. Oh. 
Yeah, we could we could be here till tomorrow. <laughs> that is a true statement. That's a true statement. All right, Christopher. Well, yes. um, I appreciate having you on. Uh, like I said, we can have you on again sometime in the future. Uh, anybody who is listening, I'm going to put a link to your book in the description so they can check it out. Um, if there's anything else you want me to link, we'll talk about it afterwards. I'll put it in there. And uh, yeah, just thank you absolutely. for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, anybody who listens to our podcast, please go to our social media on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. If there's another one that I'm forgetting, go to that one too. Like it, follow it, send comments to us. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And also, if you want to be a guest on this show, please just reach out to one of me or Steve or obviously the on the spectrum, whatever messaging service you're going to use. And we would like to have you. Yeah. So thank you very much, Christopher. I appreciate it. Wonderful. And I look forward to being on again. Oh, Chris, uh, I will send you the cure for autism, too. Oh, Jesus. <laughs>